This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Well, good morning. Hey, how we doing? Oh, it's great to see you. Great to be in the north of England. I love the north of England. Isn't it the best? We have the best pies in the world. I mean, I believe if you can have a good pie, you, you're with the presence of Jesus. And uh, I just love it. I just, I'm sorry, I needed to say that. I just needed to get it off my chest. I love this church. I know that my church, Audacious, is great friends with this church. And I want to say thank you for all that you do. I want to say thank you to your pastors. Isn't it amazing that you had pastors that had a vision of this? I don't mean just a building of you, of building people and seeing a community reached. I want to thank you for your years of service. I know that your pastor was uh, originally up in the northeast of England. That's exactly where I was. It's where Jesus lives. Uh, And then he moved over a few years ago when I moved over as well. And uh, now, no, I'm joking. Jesus didn't just move with me. He moved in me. Amen. (laughs) Glory. (laughs) Write that down. Note takers are history makers. Amen. (laughs) Glory. Let's just pray. Father God, I just pray that my words would be your words today. And I just pray that we'd hear from the heart of God. Jesus, we love you. We welcome you into this place. You've already been here. And God, I just pray that today wouldn't just be a meeting, but it were a meeting with you that would change out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be here this morning. And, uh, you know, I uh, co-founded Hope for Justice. Um, uh, I kind of heard about this issue called modern-day slavery in Manchester Town Hall and heard about 27 million people caught in slavery, 1.2 million children a year sold, two children every minute. I remember hearing those statistics and hearing the lives that have been affected by this. And I walked out that building that night and I thought, wow, if that was my daughter, I would do something. And it was the next thought that changed the course of my life. They are someone's daughter, I should do something. So I did what any young passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked the NEC Arena in Birmingham to tell the judge about it. And we got 5,884 people to our first event and... Since then, we've launched uh, eight locations across the world, and we have five uh, here in in the UK. We have Manchester, Bradford, Birmingham, Northumbria, and Scotland, and then we launched into Nashville, Tennessee, in Norway, Stavanger, and we have several projects running out in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. We have schools, we have reintegration projects, but here in the UK, our predominant focus has been rescue and advocacy. And we've rescued hundreds of victims of modern-day slavery. We've rescued children as young as three months old and adults up to 58 years old. Uh, We've rescued people in this area. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, uh, we helped uh, uh, with a raid uh, with seven people being rescued and eight people being arrested. Uh, You know, we are seeing in just here in the north uh, of England, we're seeing hundreds of people. We rescued a few years ago, we rescued 33 people from a factory, probably about half an hour away from here, that was making beds for two of the largest retailers here in the UK. We've rescued women, men, women, children. You know, just God is doing something. You know, one thing I've realized is God's 
passion for the least and the last and the hurting and the marginalized. It's unrelenting. You know, one of my favorite scriptures of all is Psalm 72. For he will deliver the needy and those that are trapped in violence for precious is their blood in his sight. I love the fact that our God, his, his ear is listening to the poor. His heart is leaning into them. I love that. If, I don't know what you know about your, our Jesus. I don't know what you've heard about him, whether he's just a God that stayed in heaven, that just listened and, and didn't act. But our God, I love the fact that it says, for love motivated God to come down to this earth and set us all free. And he's still doing it today. Because he sent me and you to the broken. He sent me and you to the marginalized. I love it. You know, I love the, the goodness of God. God is a good God. I, uh, uh, we like to celebrate in our organization. I don't know if you like to celebrate, but we love the art of celebration. You've got to celebrate what you want to replicate. And one of the things that I've, I love about what we do is we see so many people set free. And we celebrate every moment. In fact, we, uh, every time that we rescue someone, we actually uh, uh, have a padlock that some of the people that we used to rescue and, and have rescued have literally been held by padlock and chain. But now we take that padlock off them. We write their name on them because they, they don't need it anymore. They never needed it. And we hang that padlock on a wall. We call it a freedom wall. Because they don't need it anymore. We've had now hundreds and hundreds of people set free. You know, I love celebration. I don't know if you know the story of Elijah. Do you know the story of Elijah? Can I tell you it? You know, one of my favorite people in the Bible is Elijah. You know, Elijah, you know, it says he was like me and you, you know, and I love this, like Elijah, the prophet of God. I, I, I want to read from you from 1 Kings 19, but in 1 Kings 18, it tells this amazing story. This amazing story of how Elijah was, uh, uh, was challenged by the prophets of Baal. And they said to him, your God isn't the real God. I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you in your life. Whether people have said over your life, your dreams, it isn't a real dream. It isn't the real God. You can't do that. You're, you're God, you have no power, no authority. I love Elijah. He's going, no, I do. I have all authority. I know who I represent. And so they decided to do this challenge. You know, we all like a good challenge. I like a good challenge of backgammon. Oh, I'm a good backgammon player, me. You want to challenge me, I'll prove that I am a son of the living God through backgammon. I'm so good at backgammon. I'll make you cry. I'll make you call out for your mommy. I'm so good at backgammon. But he decided to use this old school, this old school challenge of getting the sticks out. And he, and, and the, the person who had the real God was going to have the fire fall down and, and set the sticks on fire. I love this story. Elijah, he challenges the other guys, the prophets from Baal. They start doing it. They put the sticks out and they're like, come on, do it. Now. Do it already. Boom. Nothing happens. Now you would think that Elijah was dignified in his response. He wasn't. He mocked him. He's like, is, is that all you've got? Hello. You know, what's going on? Is you got the real God you want to call out for your mommy right now? I mean, who's gonna, are you going to suck your thumb? Is that what's going to happen? Like, and then Elijah, he's so confident in his God, right? He puts the sticks down and then he pours water over it. 
And he does it again. And he does it again. I mean, how confident is that? The Bible says don't throw away your confidence. I'm just saying. Or it will be. Richly rewarded. He's pouring it on. And then he says, like, in the name of Jesus. He doesn't because Jesus hadn't come then. I was just testing you. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Boom. And the fire came down. Now, I just want to, like, you can imagine what their faces were like. They were like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's, like, fire. Like, now, imagine if I did this. Now, we read the Bible, right? And we, we see the stories in the Bible, and we go, wow, yeah, that just happened. You know, the fire of God came. That's, that's what happened. Now, can we just, like, if I did it now, like, if I got sticks out right now, and I said, fire of God, come down. One, we would have to evacuate. I'm just saying, now we live in those days, the glory days of fire safety. But imagine if I went, fire of God, come down now. And the fire of God came down. You'd be like, oh, Ben, that's awesome. We just paid for this carpet. (laughs) You'd be Instagramming it. You'd be tweeting it. You'd be Facebooking it. You know, I would be booked up in America. I mean, they'd be like, you know, Ben Cooley? I don't know Ben Cooley. You know the Ben Cooley. He's the fire guy. You know the guy. (laughs) He Fire came down. Oh, my gosh. I would have a career made in Christianity. (laughs) The fire came down. And then what Elijah did from that point onwards, he went and killed all the prophets. I'll leave that for your pastor to explain why he did that. Um, Do not murder. Um, And then... Ahab, one of their guys, went to Jezebel. And I'm going to read this right now. Elijah had just killed all the people, just saw the fire of God come down, and then this is what Ahab told Jezebel. And now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to the Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. And sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Another translation says, it is enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Amazing to see that a a man just a chapter before saw the fire of God fall down. A miracle of God Yeah, one woman speaks one word of death over him, and he runs away, and he leaves everyone, becomes isolated and alone, sits under a broom bush, and he says, it is enough, Lord. You know, in uh, church life and in Christianity life, and our social media says everything's going well. I mean, everything about our life. Like, we're all presenting success. You hear about the miracles. You don't hear about the tribulation. You hear about the good. You don't hear about the bad. 
I want to talk to you today. If you're sat under that tree, if you're saying, hey, this is my last time in church, God. This is your last chance to speak to me. If you're sat under that tree and you've gone, I'm done, I'm checked out. I'm going. Maybe I've got a bit of a word for you today to encourage you, to encourage your soul. I've said it is enough many times. In fact, I used to sing it. I don't know if you know this, but I used to be an opera singer. I used to wear tights and makeup and dance around. I also used to do that in operas. (laughs) Stop it. You're embarrassing me. You probably don't want me to sing this bit, do you? I mean... We're in the north. I can't sing. Right, no. It goes like this. He sees the mighty miracle of God. One woman speaks one word of death over him. He sits under the tree. It is enough. Oh Lord, now take away my life. For Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Have you ever said that? you ever said to God, it's enough? What you're asking me to carry is too much, it is enough. I can't do this anymore, God, it is enough. The debt is overwhelming, it is enough. My job, it is enough. My vocation, it is enough. My calling, it is enough. God, it is enough. You know, uh, We're all on this journey, right? I don't know what journey you're on, but we're on this journey to transform our life, to transform our world. We're on this journey. I I don't know where you are in your journey, but I went on a journey a few years ago that I want to tell you about. I I did this challenge. Uh, Some of us got around a table and we were like, we want to do a challenge to launch one of our offices. And we were going to launch a new office in the West Midlands. We wanted to rescue more people down there. And, and so uh, some of us got together around a table and we were like, we need to do a challenge. What can we do? Someone suggested uh, we should do like a, 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 a run, a, a marathon. I was like, <laughs> no, we are not doing a marathon because marathons are from the devil. Um, it's in the Bible. Uh, it's clearly there. You can read it for yourselves. Uh, some of you haven't got to that point yet. That's okay. You'll get there. And, uh, and so another person said, hey, well, what else can we do? And I was like, well, you know, maybe we could do a cake sale. I mean, I like cakes. I'm, totally, I'm down with Victoria Sponge. Like, I can, I can eat it like a champ. And then someone was like, no, man, I don't think we'll make enough money uh, to do that. And I was like, yeah, I suppose that's right. And then, like, someone said, we should do a cycle. And I was like, yes, because I used to cycle when I was 12 years old. So I know how to do it, you know. I used to call for my friend. Hey, man, how you doing? You playing? Totally awesome. 
and, uh, and so we decided to do a, a cycle. And someone said, hey, why don't we do Land's End to John O'Groke's? And I was like, well, everyone does Land's End to John O'Groke's. We should do something more bespoke, more, more that's got to do with our story. And at that point in time, we used to name our offices after some of the people that we rescued. And the, the office that we were going to call, uh, that we were going to launch was called Zoe's Hub. So I said, hey, we should do Zoe's journey, right? Zoe was trafficked from Latvia to Southampton. We should cycle that. Now, at that point in time, I thought Latvia was next to France. <laughs> Turns out it's not. It is next to Russia. Now, I'll tell you when, uh, like any good leader, we, we'd already, like, announced it through Twitter and all social media fl- platforms, exception LinkedIn, because that's for serious people. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, we'd done this video, and I, I've got a few friends that were on Emmerdale at the time, and we did this whole, like, this, did this whole thing. And I'll never forget the moment I found out how far it was, was when we were live on TV. And uh, it's amazing to find revelation things going on live on TV. So they were interviewing my friends. We had like Comedy Dave there. He was like um, doing uh, a cycling with us. And we had like Tom Lister, who was Carl King in Emmerdale. And they were asking Carl King, going, hey, what's it like leaving Emmerdale? He was like, yeah, well, it was uh, emotional, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then they turned to me, uh, uh, nobody, and they said, hey, Ben Cooley, CEO of Hope for Justice, the cycle that you're doing, like, can we ask you a question about it? Like, that? go, we're live on TV, go, you can ask me a question. He said, Ben, it's, um, what you're doing is more miles than the Tour de France in less days. How does that make you feel? It's what? It's, it is what? It's, it's what? What again? What? Oh, bless him, he's nervous, he's live on TV. Nope, I feel sick right now. I think I've just been sick in my mouth. Ah, mommy, mommy. Anyway. So we got sponsored by uh, we got sponsored by bike companies. We got given like twelve thousand pound bikes. We got given six thousand pounds worth of tea, uh, 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 clothes and from Assos. I mean, it was amazing the type of favour that we were getting. I mean, we got nearly two million pounds worth of TV exposure. I mean, it was unbelievable, and that had something called pressure. <laughs> and. Uh, I, so we headed over to Latvia, and we, we were there, we were going, and like we started cycling through Latvia, and we, we got through Latvia in a day. Like, I was like, legit, no, I can't, I cycled through a country in a day? I mean, look at these, these are awesome. I mean, not only pretty to look at, I'm wearing tight skinny jeans. Anyway, and uh, it's only a sin to look twice, so enjoy your first look. No, joking. Um, uh, and uh, we... We, we got through Latvia in a day, and then Lithuania, and then we hit Poland. And I don't know if you've ever Googled Poland, but Poland is massive. Like, Poland is absolutely huge. And we got through Poland, and we started looking. I started getting tired, and I looked down, and there was a wild wolf running next to me. Suddenly, I found my motivation. I was like, I like cycling again. <laughs> and then we got to Germany. And in Germany, it was the middle of our journey. And I want to say to you right now, I don't know where you are in your journey. But I say this, the danger of any vision is never at the start. Nor is it at the end. 
The danger of a vision is always in the middle. And the middle for us was Germany. And you know, at the start of the journey, I was all excited. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this. We're going to end slavery. Oh my gosh, we're going to get to Southampton. I don't know what your version of that is. Oh, I've just started this business. I've just started this project. I've just started this vision. You know, when you're near Southampton, you're like this. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. We're nearly finished. You've got the excitement of the finish line, the cheering of the crowds. But Germany is right in the middle. You know, I went around this corner in Germany. The weather changed. Everything changed. And I went around this corner and I saw what I can only describe as as a mountain. And I looked at this mountain. This mountain was 3,500 foot high. Just so you know, Everest is 27,000 foot. It's over 10% of Everest. I turned to the guy who was in charge of our route. I said, hey, buddy, we'll be going round the mountain when she comes. We'll be going. He said, no, we're going over it. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> At that point in time, no word of a lie. Uh, our film crew, our, one of our camera guys, came up to me, pointed the camera in my face. Mountain, camera. He said, Ben, tell me what's on your heart. I was like, you don't want to know what's on my heart, boy. It's nasty thoughts. He says, Ben, go and tell me what's on your heart. And he pointed the camera at me. I said, camera mountain. I said, the only thing I could do. If faith can move a mountain, let the mountains move. I'll try it with a Darlene check move. If faith can move a mountain. I learned something in that moment. God doesn't always move the mountains. Sometimes he defines you by them. See, I've learned this from my work at Hope for Justice. That God sometimes puts us through hardships to prove who you are and who he is. See, God wanted to teach me something. You are stronger than you think you are. So many people sit at the bottom of the mountains and they say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to achieve that. I'm not going to be able to deliver that. I'm not strong enough to conquer that. And guess what? You're probably not because you're telling yourself. What you sow, you reap. You know, the Bible says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Your thinking affects your attitude. Your attitude determines the course of your life. If we want to be transformed people, we need to transform our thinking. Take captive of every thought and harness it to the will and to the thoughts of God. Because in Isaiah it says this, For His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You see, some of us need to start thinking how He thinks about us. We need to take captive, harness it. We need to train our minds. Your thinking affects your attitude. Your attitude determines the course of your life. When you face a problem, what do you think? What do you think about when you think of that problem? You know, I love the thoughts of David. Uh, I love David in the, in, in, in the Bible. You know, when everyone else was thinking one thing, he was thinking the other. 
You know, Elijah uh, was the same. You know, to live throughout history, we've had different thinkers. And David, when he wasn't even invited to the war, he wasn't invited. I don't know if you felt like that, but as an opera singer in my world, I feel like that. You know, our team, just a few weeks ago, we got invited, just six people, to have the ear of the President of the United States. We were sat there in the the White House, advising him. We've been asked to advise him on what federally the United States should do about the issue of modern day slavery. I feel like I'm the David in the room. I mean, I'm an opera singer. I can wear tights like a champ. But David, you know, when he saw the Israelites, he was like, hey, you know, the Israelites were going, hey, he's strong, he's mighty, he's tall, he, he's unbelievable, he's undefeatable. <laughs> yeah, but you, you see, David came, he was bringing the cheese. I mean, it says he brought the cheese. Can you imagine it, the Israelites? Hey, David, have you got any Wensley Day with cranberry? <laughs> I was just thinking it'd be really nice. I'm so sorry. We've only got we've only got gorgonzola today. You know, oh, well, you know, David, have you got any? Uh, you imagine bringing the cheese. What do you bring? See, he wasn't just bringing the cheese. He's bringing a mindset that changed the nation. You see, when he saw the problem, everyone else was saying, "Hey, oh my gosh, this is a massive problem." Oh, but he said this. I love the words of David came out of his thinking, came out of his attitude. This is what he said. Who is this Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. I don't know what your thinking is today, but I'm here to tell you, you are stronger than you think you are. You are part of the royal family. You are a co-heir in the kingdom of heaven. Somebody, somebody's got to get this revelation in them. That's how you change the world. You change it by your thinking. You are stronger than you think you are. You know, a few days later, I was still in Germany because it turns out Germany is absolutely massive. And we are going up this mountain, right? And I am just about to stop cycling because, like, my back is killing me. My legs are killing me. I'm, I'm 30 years old, and I call out for my mommy. I'm like, Mommy, please, Mommy, rescue me. I'm cycling up this mountain, and it's literally like this. And I'm like, God, I can't do this anymore. I've said this many times, I hope for justice. It's too much to carry. It's too much to carry. You know, just a few weeks ago, I was in our program in Cambodia, and I was with a seven-year-old girl that was sold into prostitution. It's too much to carry. I mean, the weight of that. I've been into brothels in Cambodia where literally I've seen like goldfish bowls. I've gone up to the 13th floor and there's goldfish bowls and there's rake seating and there's 50 girls sat on there. And there's a man, I'm not told the name. They don't even have a number. I'm given a pen with a laser sight to point at the girl that I want. Completely stripped of their identity, completely stripped of their human aspects, They're just a piece of meat. It's too much to carry. I don't know if you've said that. I don't know if you've said that about what God has asked you to carry, whether you felt that it's too much, God, but I felt it, and I felt it when I was cycling there. It's too much, God. You know, I was reminded at that point in time, as I was just about to stop cycling, of Numbers 11. 
Moses was asked by God to deliver a whole nation out of slavery. And he was looking after them for 40 years and God asked him to do something and it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And Moses said, that's it, God, I can't do it anymore. Am I their mother? Was I, did I give birth to them? Have you ever said this? Um, it's too much. It's too much for me to carry. I can't do it anymore, God. He changed God's mind. And God said to him, all right, I get it, Moses, I get it. Take 70 of the leaders that are known to you and bring them to me. And I'll take some of the same spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them. And they'll help you carry the load. As I was just about to stop cycling, I felt this hand on my shoulder and it was my mate Jim. And I felt this other hand on my other shoulder, it was my mate Gav. And they were pushing me up the mountain one-handed. I learned something in this moment, church. Some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. We weren't designed to be alone. That's why in Genesis it says, it is not good for man to live alone. That's why it says in the New Testament, do not forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. No, no, my friends, we were designed, we were purposed to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another, to bear one another's burdens. That's why church is so important. If you feel like you are at the fringe of church, can I ask you, get plugged in. Don't be alone. Start standing shoulder to shoulder with one another. Start building relationships with one another. Because we weren't meant to be alone. We weren't purposed to be alone. We were meant to be this fabric together, this glorious symphony, all playing different roles but one sound. You know, one of the things I used to love about being an opera singer is that I used to look down and there was an orchestra below me. One person was playing the first violins, and they would play this glorious melody, this, uh, this anthemic theme, and then there would be a viola player who completely con- complimented. Uh, the, the viola player would, I don't know if you know about violas, but I was a viola player. What's the difference between a viola and a trampoline? You take your shoes off to jump on a trampoline. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's... It's true though. And then the viola player plays this lovely melody. And then you've got the cello that adds the depth, the the, the richness, the counter melody. Then you've got the flute that soars above it, that, 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 that adds another melody above the violins. And then you've got the oboe that pierces, all making one sound. I don't know if you feel different. I don't know if you think your sound is different, but let me ask you, and tell you, the orchestra has different sounds, has different instruments, but it's one sound, really. You see, it's heard in, in the building. It's heard this one glorious sound that complements one another, this glorious sound. Church, I want to tell you today, we aren't each other's competitors. We're team. You see, this is the beautiful thing about what God has given us. We are different, but we're the same. 
we can create this one sound together. Hey, if you felt like a violin and, and you feel like this place only celebrates flutes, let me tell you, you are celebrated. You are needed because we need first violins. We need viola plays. We need cello plays. We need the difference to make this one glorious sound, this sound, this anthem of freedom in our generation. You see, what I love about God uh, is that this anthem is not just heard in the building, but my God, come on. Today, this anthem is heard in Burnley. This anthem is heard in the north. This anthem of freedom, this Jesus song, this song of glorious anthem of freedom that we make. It's amazing. You know, our generation, we're the Twitter and the Instagram generation. I don't know if you're on Instagram and Twitter, but sometimes my weak self, when I look at social media, I look at my friends and I go, man, your dinner is better than my dinner. Your friends are better than my dinner. My dinner, your friends are better than my dinner. I don't know about you, but I eat my friends. Do you? I totally do that. It's totally cool right now. In no way is that cool. I'm just saying, don't eat your friends. Some of you need to write that down, okay? I'm not endorsing that sort of behavior. But if you look at it, you kind of go, with the, oh, their church is better than our church. I'm just getting real with you. Their ministry is better than our ministry. Their church news is better than our church news. Their preaching is better than our preaching. Their worship is better than our worship. It is enough. I can't do it. See, you want to know about something that can get you down in a spiral and make you sit under a tree? It's comparison. It's comparison. I I love this quote. Comparison is the thief of all joy. You want to stop yourself from doing great things from God? Start with comparison. Because that's great. You know, the thing is, I mean, now, right? I, I remember when I first started Hope for Justice, right? I had one, I was on three days a week, and it was going great. I loved it, right? And then I started looking at someone else, and they like had like four full-time staff members. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not very good. They've got four staff members. We've only got someone on three days a week. And then I got to four staff members, and then I looked at someone with ten staff members. I felt this constant discomfort because I was totally comparing my life to someone else. Now I've got 140 full-time staff members. I'm looking at someone with 500, and I'm going, why aren't I there yet? Why aren't I there yet? You know what? Happy is the man who wants what he has. Happy is the man who celebrates what he has. That she looks at content and just is grateful. God, I am thankful. You see, comparison can actually divide us. Comparison sets churches against each other. Comparison puts me against Jim. It puts me against Gav. But if we can realize we are the same team, this one glorious fabric of humanity, uh, born by God, created by God for a purpose, I think we're going to do great things. Don't look at social media and compare. Celebrate. Say, good on you, buddy. I'm for you. Train your mind. Train your spirit to do that. Some mountains are meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. My final thing is, if I can just get the keyboard player, that would be very helpful because you know and I know we can't land a message without a keyboard player. 
It's similar to worship leaders. You can't have a worship leader that doesn't wear tight, skinny jeans. It's part of the same, you know, same kind of thing that's in the Bible somewhere. A few days later, again, I was still in Germany. Turns out Germany really is that big. And we're cycling through Germany, and by this time now, I, I'm being sick eight or nine times a day. I, uh, I, I, you might look at me and think that I am an athlete. Let me assure you, I am not. And I was being sick, and I couldn't keep any food down. I couldn't keep any water down, and I was severely dehydrated. And um, I started hallucinating. I started just seeing things, and... My body was broken and we were cycling and everyone else seemed to be doing better than me and I kept on keeping the group back. And I would sat under that tree and I was like, God, it is enough, I'm done, I'm checked out, I can't do this anymore. And I stopped cycling. It was the first time I stopped cycling on that route and I was gliding. There's only one other time I stopped cycling at Hope for Justice. I actually stopped what I was doing. And it was back a few years ago when my office got a phone call. And they, uh, the man that phoned our office was involved in the very things that we stand against. And he said these words, which I will never forget. Ben's kids go to a great school, don't they? And then proceeded to make his threat. I had to make a phone call to my wife that I never thought I would have to make. Babe, we're going to have to move out of our house. Get the kids. We need to go. We moved out of our house and... I don't know, when I started Hope for Justice, I never believed that it would come to my children's store. And uh, we lived in this other house for a few weeks, and I was praying to God. I was like, God, I I can't hear you right now. I I, I don't know what you're saying to me right now. What do I do? And God didn't say anything. He didn't say nothing to me. It was absolute silence. I kept on going back. I was like, I can't carry anymore, God. Where are you? Where are you? Something in my spirit. It's just a question. Who do you think you are? I was like, I don't know, God. know and then just the word of God came rushing back to me I'm a son of the most high I'm part of a kingdom that will never be shaken I'm part of the royal family he that is within me is far greater than he that is in the world when I step out I carry the weight and the authority of the almighty God, Yahweh, the name that couldn't be mentioned. 
Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is present. I bear his name. I went back to the team. We were only 10 staff at the time. I called a meeting. They all thought that we were going to shut down. We were going to stop. Everyone was expecting that. I went back. I told them what had happened. And I said, hey, my friends, we have some difficult days ahead. But I want you to know, we're going to open up a new office. We're going to not stop because we bear the name of Jesus Christ. And when we use our voice, it's not just for communication. Today, we use our voice for, for creation. New people, new hope, new vision. We're not going to stop because we are part of the fabric of humanity. We are part of the fabric of God. And we bear his name today. We're going to open up a new office. You know, a year later, we all launched that office. A year after that, 110 people walked free. You know, I stopped cycling on this. I cried. I stopped. I don't know if you've stopped. I don't know if you're gliding right now. But just as I was gliding, my mate Tom started shouting at me. He said, Ben, Ben. It's like, what, buddy? I'm done. He said, Ben, look up. Look up at the town that we're cycling through. I said, man, I'm done. I'm done. He said, Ben, look up at the town that we're cycling through. And I look up blurry eyes and I see this sign. He says, Ben, it's our turn. It's our time and our turn, Ben. Don't you dare forget who you're cycling for. Don't you dare forget that you're cycling for the Emmas, for the Zoes, for the Maries of this world that are yet walking free. Don't you dare forget who you were cycling for. It's our time and our turn. Church, do you know that today it is our time? It is our turn. We need to go into the world and plunder it. We need to go into the world and invade the darkness because this is what we are designed for. We are a city on a hill. We are the light in the darkness. We are part of this glorious orchestra, this orchestra that is resounding out into the darkness of this world. It is our time and our turn. You know, Zoe was trafficked from Latvia to Southampton. When she arrived here in, in England, she met this man who took her into this hotel, up to this hotel room, and he presented her some underwear. She said, no, I'm not here for that sort of work. I'm, I'm here for a legitimate job. He laughed at her. He said, no, you're here to do who I tell you to do and when I tell you to do. And Zoe's heart just broke. And the man walked out and then 10 men walked in. And there began Zoe's nightmare. Where Zoe was trafficked all across this country. Sold from man to man and town to town. So bad was the abuse that Zoe decided that she would end her life. And she decided that she would jump out the apartment window. 
She didn't die. She bust a leg. And the trafficker grabbed her by the hair, saw her on the street, grabbed her by the hair and dragged her up into the building, up every single flight of stairs. And he shoved her back on the bed for the next man to walk in. When our team reached out to Zoe, she was so broken. She didn't know who to trust anymore. She got into the car and she was like, I don't know if this is real or not. I I don't know if I can trust you or not. Almost like she was like, I just need a night off. When she got into the aftercare facility, she realized she hadn't been sold. She hadn't been exploited, that this was real. And she turned to my team member and said, it's real, isn't it? It's real. Tonight, I'm not going to get abused. And he turns to her and he says, yeah, Zoe, it's real. And this girl bursts into floods of tears. And he says, you know what, Zoe? You're a princess. You're a daughter of the king. And she's sobbing and sobbing. And then he hears this whisper. I'm a princess. I'm a princess. I don't know if you're sat under that tree today. But I'm here to tell you, you are stronger than you think you are. That some mountains, they aren't meant to be climbed alone. Climb them with others. Get part of church get plugged back in and I'm here to tell you it's our time and our turn church it's our time and our turn to reach out into the brokenness of humanity to restore beauty from ashes it's our time and our turn church you know uh I just want to say before I close, we, uh, if you feel moved by our, our stories, I want to say that we want to give you a free book today. It's not out today. It's going to be launched in July. We're going to give this free to anyone who signs up to be a regular giver of Hope for Justice. If you want to support Hope for Justice and what we're doing to help end slavery, I just want to encourage you to do that, to be part of this story. Maybe together... We could say over our generation, the same words is Elijah, but with a different meaning. You see, Elijah sat under that tree and he said, it is enough. Well, maybe we as a church could say, it is enough. No more modern day slavery. No more children being exploited. No more women being sold into prostitution. It is enough, no more men being sold into false labor. Not on our watch, because we are God's people. We are stronger than we think we are. Who is this Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? We'll join together celebrating one another. And we'll have this revelation. It is our time and our turn. And we will go and be his light and his feet. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you.
Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.